1: to welcome everyone back for season 4 of criminology. Morph it's finally here and we're really excited about it. This season is all about the cases that you all have heard about in 2018 being solved with the help of GEDmatch, Parabon and through forensic genealogy. All of these cases that have made headlines this year using the most cutting edge DNA science technology and police work. And we all witnessed
2: this firsthand when in the middle of season two of criminology during our Golden State Killer coverage, Joseph D'Angelo was arrested for those crimes. I think we became aware that this was a new era in crime fighting and that the way police hunted criminals in cases with DNA evidence would be changed forever. We've been watching the dominoes fall as one crime after another has been solved using these methods and we're excited to present these cases this season on criminology.
1: Before we dive in to this episode, we need to take care of some quick housekeeping, starting with our Patreon supporters who allow us to keep putting out this content. We had Charlene Freethy, Jess Plant, Sean McMahon, Jackie Holland, Stephanie Dusky jumped out at our highest level and Alicia Kirkpatrick. So, Big shout out to all those folks. We appreciate the support. We appreciate all the people that continue to support us month after month. It really is amazing.
2: Yeah, we can't thank you enough for your support. And our Patreon supporters get ad-free episodes of the podcast. As a matter of fact, this weekend, we're dropping a Q&A episode into our Patreon feed that we recorded a while back. And we discuss everything from true crime to what our favorite music is. So that should be fun and it'll be available to all of our Patreon supporters. So if you aren't signed up yet, be sure to do so by visiting patreon.com/criminology.
1: And another thing we wanted to remind you about are the books that we have out based on the first 2 seasons of Criminology. Season 1 is all about the Zodiac Killer and that book is available on Amazon now as both an ebook and as a paperback. Which a lot of people have been asking about. So the paperback version is out right now.
2: And don't forget that our season two book about the Golden State Killer is also out as an ebook on Amazon, and that'll also be out soon in paperback. So be sure to check those out.
1: All right, Morf, let's get into this episode. But we need to go back to where it all began in April of this year with the arrest of Joseph D'Angelo. You know, We were fortunate enough to have on Paul Holes a couple of times. You know, He's been a friend of the show, and he walked us through some of this process. But since we've last heard from Paul, some things have changed. Between
2: Paul Holes
1: retiring
2: and new details coming out of D'Angelo's arrest and court proceedings, we know a little bit more about the process than we did before and just how it went down. And since we really want to have a full understanding of that process, starting with the arrest of Joseph D'Angelo, Paul Holes joined us again to walk us through a little more detail of just how things went down. So, Paul, welcome back to the show. We appreciate you coming
3: on. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: So this season is all about cases that have been solved with DNA and forensic genealogy. The Golden State Killer was the first high-profile case to be solved using that method, And since then, there's been a slew of crimes and cold cases that have been solved the same way. Did you ever think when you uploaded the Golden State Killer's DNA profile into GEDmatch that there would be this ongoing ripple or domino effect of other cases being solved?
3: You know, when when I initially started researching into it, I, I could see that the power of the technology But frankly, I was so keyed in on the Golden State Killer aspect, I wasn't thinking about this could be, you know, precedent setting for for other cases. Uh, You know, in in hindsight, obviously having such a high profile case like the Golden State Killer solved using the technique, it just makes sense that there would be this domino effect with other cases that have suitable evidence uh, to use the technique on. And just to step back for a second, You know, we had
2: talked before when you came on the show uh, that one of the hurdles you faced as an investigator in the case was that private DNA databases like Ancestry.com or 23andMe, they wouldn't just open up their doors for you to submit the Golden State Killer's DNA profile into their database. But you knew if you could, you would probably find a, a, a hit pretty easily. And, you know, obviously you tried GEDmatch and went to... Public database route. How did you come up with the idea to initially use, you know, a database like JedMatch, and then ultimately pick JedMatch itself?
3: I had heard of JedMatch uh, and JedCom and DNA JedCom. I had no idea what those websites were, and it really comes back down to that one case uh, that I just coincidentally had involvement with in which I had the conference call in February of 2017 with a San Bernardino detective named Peter Headley. And in, during that conversation, that's when I learned about the genealogy technique. So when I'm reaching out to the genetic genealogist who assisted in that case, Barbara Ray Venter, and I'm asking her, hey, can you help me on this case? And I'm not telling her which case it was. Um, this is what I've got. And, you know, there's, Conversations with her where she's throwing out these, you know, these websites, and of course, I'm 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 taking copious notes. In addition, I'm doing a bunch of research at home in terms of how the technology uh, could be employed in a uh, identifying an offender, and that's when I started to learn more about GedMatch. And what I ended up doing was is taking my parents' own DNA profile that they had developed at Ancestry.com. Downloading it out of Ancestry and uploading it into GEDmatch so I could learn how to use the system. And it was during that process where I became, I was just absolutely stunned at how powerful the technology could be. And that's once I had done that and I realized how it could be done, that's when I started hitting the agencies uh, that had cases uh, in the Golden State Killer series saying, this is how we can solve the case if you just let me use some of your valuable DNA evidence. And once you did get it in there, and I assume you picked that one
2: in particular because it had the most profiles in it. Would that be a correct
3: assumption? Well, uh, Gedmatch uh, is not the one with the most uh, genealogy DNA profiles. That would be Ancestry, um, and then of course you have 23andMe and Family Tree DNA. But these are Closed private systems, uh, so it would require more legal action in order to be able to search those systems. Whereas Gedmatch was open source and public, so the thought was, "Is well, let's see what we can get out of Gedmatch, knowing that Gedmatch had a sampling of DNA profiles of people who had been tested in Ancestry and tested in 23andMe and tested in Family Tree DNA, etc." You know, so they it was sort of this mingling spot for people who had used different proprietary systems. So it really was the easy way to go. Um, And and that's what we did initially, is to get the results out of GEDmatch. And then if we failed at doing that, then we would explore what we could do uh, and how we could go about searching those other sites that were closed. And
2: once you made the decision to put that DNA into GEDmatch, how long did it take to see a hit?
3: So, you know, when you upload into GEDmatch, uh, your, your DNA profile, it, it does tell you it usually takes 24 to 48 hours for their algorithms to come back with the the list of results. And we got a result. Uh, I was looking at results within a day after I had uploaded this, the profile. What was that feeling like? Yeah, that was, you know, it was... A, a moment in time in which it gave me hope. You know, I was coming off of a phase in my investigation where I was in the doldrums because it looks like I was just striking out um, and, uh, you know, started down this path of pursuing the genealogy. You know, but going into it, it's the expectation really was is, you know, I know if the right people are in the database, we can solve this case. But given the Golden State Killer's luck, chances of him having a close enough relative in the database is probably slim to none, and we're going to strike out on this. So when I saw the initial results, and they were on the order of third cousins, you know, I was like, well, that's what I had used with my dad's DNA profile to be able to show how this technology works. So it gave me hope, but I didn't realize at that time how hard working with third cousins was going to be when you're dealing with an unknown offender and trying to triangulate amongst these distant relatives to identify him. And then once you found that DNA match in the database, that's
2: just the start of it. You still needed to figure out how to trace that back to actual suspects. And that's where it involved the forensic genealogy. Tell us about the whole process and how you went about you know, interacting with uh, Barbara Ray Ventnor, um, and to do that.
3: Well, and I think, you know, part of uh, the misconception out there is when you search a database like JEDMatch, you're, you're not getting a match. You're getting a list of individuals uh, based, that's sorted based on the amount of DNA they share with your profile, with the Golden State Killer. And so I was dealing initially with a list of 25 third cousins to the Golden State Killer. So it's not really a match and you have one person and now you're off and running trying to build a family tree. I was looking at 25 people plus in terms of how am I going to proceed to identify the Golden State Killer from all of these people that share a portion of their DNA with him. Uh, That's where uh, Barbara Ray Bettner and her expertise just became absolutely invaluable, you know, because the conception going into this by us investigators was is we're just going to take, you know, each person and try to identify everybody they're related to and the Golden State Killer is going to show up. And when she saw what we were doing, she was like, no, that's not how this technique is done. And so she gave us structure and she explained how it is a triangulation method, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find common ancestors between at least two of the people that share DNA with the Golden State Killer. And then once you find those common ancestors, and we're having to go back into the 1820s and the 1840s, once you link those two people in your match list, now you have to identify all the descendants under those common ancestors with the hope that your offender, the Golden State Killer, is also a descendant uh, of those great, great grandparents. Uh, so she gave us the structure. Um, and you know, the funny thing initially is I found out about her on that other case, uh, from San Bernardino. When I initially reached out to her, she asked me what I had. Uh, I sent her some information and then all of a sudden she went silent on me and I thought she did not want to help. Uh, and sometimes these genealogists get a little skittish working with law enforcement, so I just continued to charge head with my FBI partner on this, Steve Kramer. And about six months later, Barbara just popped up out of the blue saying, hey, do you still need my help? And I was just like, yeah. you know. And then she, she had a, a health situation in which uh, she couldn't uh, uh, be able to help, and so she came in and came on board like at the most critical juncture to, for us to be successful. And then she gave us that structure and that guidance. And then as we are building the trees, and there was five of us on the law enforcement side building the trees, she was overseeing the tree building and then coming in and assessing and giving us direction as to focus on these over here. These look more promising than, than the other ones.
2: And how long a process was that for her to, to come up with these people to give you to, to put that tree together?
3: Well, you know, uh, we were in the, the genealogy aspect uh, for about four and a half months after we got the original uh, DNA results. So she was in that process that entire time. Um, probably about two and a half months into it is when we linked two of the uh, uh, matches uh, and found the common ancestors, and then it took us about uh, two months from that point to identify all these descendants and investigate the the males that were kind of falling into the criteria that uh, we we knew about the Golden State Killer. And of course, you know, there was a match and
2: the rest is history. He's arrested did you feel at the time this was going to be sort of what it's turned into? Did you have any inkling? I know you said that the the technology you you knew it had potential, but did you see all these potential cases that have been solved in the past several months getting solved on that
3: that quickly? You know, after after going through the process and seeing how hard it was. The the initial thought was is that this technology will solve other cases, Um, but most most of these cases are are still going to be really tough to solve. I I did not expect you know with the the I think seven cases that I've uh, become aware of that have been solved using this that it would happen that rapidly as soon as uh, you know the Golden State Killer uh, success. Do you think your background in in lab work and
2: working with DNA gave you as an investigator uh, a leg up in understanding the process and approaching it in a way that could help solve the case?
3: Yes, uh, there's no question about that. you know, many other investigators had thought of, for their own cases, you know, let's search Ancestry or let's search 23andMe. So doing the genealogy aspect, there was nothing novel about that thought. But many of the investigators didn't understand the DNA technology that's needed in order to do this search. And so that was an advantage that I had, because as soon as I heard about it, and then I started self-educating on it, that's the aha moment of I saw the power of the technology and that's when I, you know, pushed all the chips into the middle of the table saying we need to pursue this in the golden state killer case. So having that scientific background and and aptitude for that was an advantage. And this case sort of makes you a a bit of a pioneer.
2: Did you ever envision yourself being a a pioneer in, in this kind of police work?
3: No, no, not at all. You know, and, and, it's uh it's interesting to see those types of statements being put out there um and yeah i keep emphasizing i did not invent this technique uh, i recognized it as a tool that could be exploited and very likely could be successful you know so i think that's where my contribution comes in is just that recognition of, of that tool um, and I wasn't scared to pursue it. Uh, you do see individuals that will back away, going, "Oh, I'm not sure I want to go down that path." Um, and you know, once I was assured by legal minds, multiple legal minds, that it was it, it, it met you know all the requirements of of being a legal process, then it was full bore. Uh, and uh, knowing that there would be some concerns uh, from the public on privacy uh that uh, didn't stop me because I I was completely comfortable that what we were doing was legal
2: and that's your main concern in that situation is that you're crossing your T's and dotting your eyes
3: you always are evaluating you know what, what you're doing as an investigator is this a legal process? you're consulting with district attorneys, uh, you're going in, you're getting warrants, talking to the judges. So you, you know you, you do want to make sure you're not overstepping anything that's going to potentially compromise the case down down the road. And it seems like most people have been
2: pretty accepting of this technology and using it to solve crimes and seeing what it's done. But there's a little bit of backlash of people, you touched on it a little bit, people with different concerns, privacy concerns, or whatever kind of concerns. What would you say to those kind of people that are have those concerns about this whole process and the way it's being used to solve crimes?
3: Well, you know, I completely understand why people might have some concerns. You know, there is a stigma of, you know, law enforcement having access to somebody's DNA. And, I, I look at it knowing, knowing the technology and knowing exactly what I had access to and what I didn't. You know, I think for those people that have privacy concerns, it would be well worth their efforts to really learn what the technology is and what law enforcement is able to, to access and not access, uh, most notably. Uh, there, at no point in this process, am I ever seeing anybody's uh, DNA profile that they've uploaded into GedMatch. Uh, I can't see their genetic information. I can't download their genetic profile, so I can start taking a look at whatever genetic or medical um, proclivities their their genes might hold. Uh, basically, all I see is how much DNA the person in the database shares with the profile that I uploaded. It's as simple as looking at a number, 65. That just gives me a starting point to build a family tree to see if I can find a common ancestor between that person and the person that had my profile, the Golden State Killer. The... um, crux of this technology is genealogy. The DNA just gives you the starting points, but everything that we do after we get that, that list of results is all genealogy-based, and when you look at what genealogy is in terms of putting together families, it's going to open source public government documents, such as census records, uh, newspaper articles, obituaries, birth certificates, marriage licenses, etc., figuring out who's related to who from that starting data point. Uh, Anybody can decide, I want to know, you know, Mike Morford's uh, family lineage and start building your family tree back in time once they've identified who you are. So we're just using what is publicly available as part of this technique. And that is really the bulk of the work in in this technology.
2: Over the past few months, with these cases that have been in the news that we've all heard being solved. How many of those uh, people maybe reached out to you to say, you know, can you give us a little guidance? Can you walk us through what you did uh, to assist us in our cases?
3: There's There's been a couple of those agencies that I had talked to ahead of time. Um, and they had – already commenced kind of marching down the the genealogy route, uh, in in part because they had a previous uh, relationship with Parabon, and uh, Parabon had done some phenotyping for them, so it was relatively quick for them to take the previous DNA testing they had done on their case in order to be able to convert it into a genealogy profile and search GEDmatch. Uh, and, and of course, Parabon has, you know, gone out there and, and started to provide a, a great service to to these agencies, um, and 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 have been successful. Uh, you know, there's other agencies uh, that have reached out to me uh, on their cases, uh, which right now the, the, there there is nothing in the headlines saying they've solved their cases, uh, and and I've gone around and have provided some training to some law enforcement um, entities on how this process is done so they have a better understanding on on what it takes in order to do it and so you think right now behind the scenes
2: there are other cases like this that are uh, coming down the home stretch hopefully for being solved using the same methods
3: oh there absolutely are yes you know obviously
2: the golden state killer is the most well-known one that perhaps you've been associated with or worked on but as an investigator i'm sure you've worked on a lot of different cases that have been important to you. What are some of the cases that you think that you know of that might benefit or be solved using the same method?
3: Oh, wow, you, you know, any unsolved case that has uh, offender DNA has the potential to be solved. Um, and, and that's really the, the first thing that any agency needs to figure out is do they have uh, DNA from the offender in their case. Some some cases will have a lot of DNA and it's easy. Some cases will have very very little DNA and it could be very hard. You know, most notably would be something like the Zodiac case, which everybody would love to see solved. But the issue in that case is is you don't have a great source of offender DNA if you have offender DNA at all. Uh, So that's going to be interesting to see as investigators in that series move forward, are they able to pull DNA off of an envelope uh, flap or a stamp that they're confident came from the Zodiac, and then that DNA is sufficient in terms of quality and quantity in order to be able to produce this genealogy compatible profile. You know, one case that I had heavy involvement with that I am uh, really hopeful uh, this technique could, could help solve is a, t- a series in Northern California uh, committed by an offender that we know as the NorCal Rapist. Uh, this was a guy that uh, hit seven times that we know of, uh, not a real high-volume guy, uh, starting out in the Roner Park, Sonoma area, and then moved around kind of the Northern California um, region over the course of about, I think it was uh, 15 years before he just disappeared. And he's, uh, uh, he is an offender based on what he was doing to his, his victims that needs to be caught. And I know we have his DNA. And now it's a matter of exploiting that evidence to see if we can identify him.
2: So if there's bad guys out there that have committed these kind of crimes and DNA, they need to be worried Absolutely.
3: You know, and that's that's something where, you know, you have offenders that realize they left DNA like D'Angelo, but think I'm not in any database like the FBI's CODA system. So they'll never catch me. Well, now it doesn't matter. Uh, So if they left a DNA, it doesn't matter if they have been sampled and put into a database themselves. Um, if they have a even a, a relatively distant relative that uh, has decided to pursue their genealogy aspects and have been tested, it's possible that uh, they the offender can be identified through these genealogy databases.
2: Awesome. That's good stuff, Paul. And we appreciate you coming on. You're always a wealth of information, especially with the topics that we're dealing with for this season. So you know, I appreciate your time, and it's always good to have you on.
3: Uh, it's always fun. Thanks for having me.
1: So that was a really detailed account of just how the Golden State Killer was taken down. And you heard Paul mention Match several times. And Match is something we've all heard, we've all read about in 2018. But what is Jedmatch exactly? To understand how this entire process works, it's important to have a full understanding of of what Jed Match is and how it's used.
2: To get a full overview of Jed Match, we thought who better to reach out to than the creator and owner of Jed Match, Curtis Rogers. Curtis joined us to give us an inside look at Jed Match and how it
1: works. And now here's our interview with Jed Match creator and owner Curtis Rogers.
2: Hey Curtis, welcome to Criminology and thank you for joining us on the podcast.
0: Thank you for inviting me,
2: uh, Kurt. We've i heard a lot about GEDmatch in the news lately. It's it's sort of all over for people that tra- follow true crime and see all these cases being solved. But can you tell us exactly in your own words what GEDmatch actually is?
0: Yeah, it's a website that was really designed for genealogy researchers, people who are trying to find relatives. Uh, and we have a database of, uh, of autosomal DNA, which is different than forensics's using, but it gives you a much better opportunity to find relatives with, who are still living uh, and have a common ancestor within the last five or six generations. And it turns out that this type of research is also beneficial for uh, forensics.
2: And what inspired you to start GEDmatch, and how did you come up with the name for it?
0: I started GEDmatch because I had a uh, surname research, a surname uh, project group with Family Tree DNA, the Rogers surname group. This is all Y-DNA, the male chromosome DNA. And I wanted a uh, website that was more proactive than what was being offered by Family Tree DNA. So I found a person who was very capable uh, with genetic, with not with genetics, but with with computers and, uh, and technical things, which I am not, and he came up with a terrific program. That's about the time autosomal DNA became available for genealogists, and all of a sudden people were finding that they had lots of living relatives, and they started sending emails to each other. Do you have a McGillicuddy in your certain in your family? No. But do you have a Jones? No. Do you have a and you know, they go on and on for hours and hours and hours, and I said to him, the person that was working with me on technical matters, can we do a, uh, a computer program that would match family trees so people didn't have to constantly write back and forth, to save them lots of time. And he came up with a program and it was, I thought, brilliant. And I said it was too good for just my little surname group. We should start a company in which we can share this with other DNA researchers, with other genealogy researchers. So we did that. Why Match? Because the family trees in the Latter-day Saints LDS Church Mormons um, are called GEDcoms. They had developed a program called a GEDcom so that they could trade family trees online. And GEDcom has become a kind of accepted name now for family trees. So what we were doing was matching family trees, GEDcoms. So I decided to call it Match. That's how we got our name.
2: And what year did you launch?
0: 2010.
2: So how does the the site, how does GEDmatch differ from, say, the big name, well-known commercial genealogy sites that are out there that people can can uh, join?
0: We are an adjunct to them. We are not in competition with them. Uh, they can they test people, and then they can match people that they've tested with other people they've tested. Uh, GEDmatch people can put their own DNA that from whatever testing company they've used onto GEDmatch and then match with uh, people who've been tested by other companies and are willing to put their DNA on, a, on our site or their, their genetic information on our site. So uh, we also have uh, some tremendous tools uh, for researching using uh, genetics that are not available on the testing company sites. So... People want to be on JEDMatch, and the only way they can do that is to go tested by some other company. We don't do testing, so uh, we are helping these companies, the testing companies, and they know it, and we work with them.
2: And I personally have put my DNA profile into JEDMatch. So all you're really doing is essentially uploading the data from your other uh, results that you've already gotten into JEDMatch, and it's matching with other people, correct?
0: No. We do not upload anything. It's uploaded by the people who own that data, and that's the person who is tested. They have full control over their data. They can upload it to GEDmatch. They can delete it from GEDmatch. They have complete control over that. We do not do anything with their data other than provide tools so that they can find matches. And
2: many of us first heard about GEDmatch after the arrest of the Golden State Killer. It became public knowledge that your database, GEDmatch, was used to find the suspect's relatives. Did you know at the time that your database was being used for that purpose, or did you find out afterwards like everybody else?
0: I found out afterwards just like everyone else. We had in our policy statement always stated that the information that's available online uh, could possibly be used for purposes other than genealogy, but we never really specified. And frankly, I didn't didn't, uh, think of... Of law enforcement as being one of those uses, there were, you know people could maybe try and, and uh, use some of the uh, email addresses or something of that type, which we do everything we can to prevent, but hey, it's online things could happen, uh and we've always warned that, but law enforcement was not one of the things that we really had in mind
2: and I know your privacy policy on there is very clear it essentially says do not put your DNA information in here, unless you want to share it. So I think it was pretty cut and dry, and that's how they were able to access it to, you know, to catch uh, the Golden State killer. Right. But since then, there's been several high profile arrests, and Jedmatch obviously is making national news. And I assume there's been a large spike in data being uploaded to your site. What kind of numbers are you seeing from that?
0: We're really not seeing any kind of a spike. We did for one or two days. Uh, see a spike where, you know, we notified everyone and and we want to educate our users as much as we can. Uh, There's a spike of people who took their uh, information off. However, uh, there was only one day in which people, more people took information off than put it on. But the number of people putting it on really has grown uh, steadily ever since we've formed and and, uh, continues to grow steadily. I can't say that we're really getting any more use because of of the publicity we've received on this.
2: I know some people want to upload their DNA to GEDmatch, obviously for genealogy purposes, but some of them actually want to do it to help solve crimes if they can. They want to build a database for law enforcement to use their DNA. Uh, But I've also heard some people say that they're worried about what can be gathered with the information that they're putting into your site. What would you tell those people to alleviate their concerns about the data they're, they're putting in there?
0: With all due respects, uh, they don't really understand what's happening. Well, first of all, let me just say the, the traditional forensics, are, are forensics in which you gather uh, forensic evidence at the scene, and then you compare it to suspects. You, they point directly to suspects. Does it include the suspect or doesn't it? With our database with our methods it's a i may be going in excess to call revolutionary i think it is we do not point to a suspect what we do what is what is used by our site is to uh, point to a path to finding a suspect the problem with the golden state killer is they had plenty of evidence but they had no suspect to compare it to and and how many other cases are like that? When you don't have a suspect, it goes into the dead case file, and maybe someone will look at it in future years or maybe not. And in in what happened now is we can take stuff that's in that dead case file and find a suspect. And if we can find two or three suspects, four or five suspects, now the old method of, fr- of forensics can point to those suspects and compare the DNA evidence or whatever evidence, whether it be DNA or hair samplings or or uh, uh, fingerprints, whatever, they can use those in the way they used to because they now have a suspect. So this is a whole new way of forensics looking at things. We are able to provide suspects where suspects did not exist before
2: and one thing with your database is that law enforcement does have the availability to access it where with some of the commercial sites. Oh. They don't.
0: Okay. Let me, yeah, let me respond to that. Uh, you know, you're talking about, are we violating people's privacy? Well, first of all, we, we don't have any DNA on our site. Uh, you cannot find anyone else's DNA. Um, but beyond that, we do not show the only thing we show are matches when we're doing the law enforcement type of things, we, as I say, point in the direction of 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 uh, down the pathway of finding suspects. but that pathway includes not just our database but hundreds of other databases that can be used by uh, people who are well experienced in genealogy, for example. the uh, first thing I would want to do would be to look for family tree databases. There are hundreds of those. Uh, they they um, can be found in your local library to just massive ones that are online. I'd want to look at social security indexes, uh, maybe cemetery databases, newspapers, a big one. You find out a lot about real relationships by looking at obituaries and marriages, who attended, and who's involved, uh, and on and on and on. So there are all these other databases. Now, if you're going to say that JEDMatch is violating people's uh, privacy, you have to say the same thing about every one of these other databases because you're not going to find anyone using just JEDMatch. Every one of these databases is important, and everyone is a step towards finding the suspect.
2: So JEDMatch, you're saying, is just a—it's a tool along with several other kinds of tools that have long been available for people?
0: It's a whole new way of looking at it. It's a whole new paradigm.
2: And you mentioned earlier that you didn't envision JedMatch being used for to help law enforcement, but obviously that's that's something that it's doing, and it's it's doing it in a way that's, as you mentioned, revolutionary. What's your personal take on that? Is that something that you're proud of? You know, helping all these these people in these cases get get closure.
0: That is an issue that has kept me awake many many nights. On one hand. I want to do everything I can to protect the people that are using our site. Uh, On the other hand, people like the Golden State Killer make Jack the Ripper look like a choir boy. And, hey, it's good that he's off the streets. And I can't tell you how many emails I have received from people who lived in California at the time whose whole life has been detected by by this Golden State Killer, knowing that he was still out there. So uh, to answer your question, I'm concerned. We can't prevent people from putting information on our site. We're there so people can. What we can do is educate them, make sure that they understand that when they put their information on our site, it is visible to law enforcement and everyone else. So we've gone on a tremendous campaign to make sure that as much as possible all of our people know. Things like this interview, uh, you know, to help people understand what happens. Uh, we don't think we're violating privacy anymore, as I said, than all these other databases, but we still want to make sure that our people are as educated as possible. You talked earlier, let me uh, answer a question of something you said earlier, which was about people wanting to put their DNA on our site. Yes, I've gotten many emails from people saying, yes, I I, I want to make sure that I'm there. I I have a, a criminal in my background. I'd love to have them get caught. One letter in particular, one email stands out. And that's a woman who wrote me just two, two, two sentences saying, I want to make sure that my information is as visible as possible on your site. And the reason is my father was a serial killer. And I want to make sure that if any unsolved cases out there, uh, the people involved can get finality. You know, that is <laughs> I I I cried when I got that. At first of course you're thinking is someone pulling your leg uh, no uh, I've, I've got the full police report on that case so i <laughs> it was not she was not pulling my leg
2: so these people are reaching out to you and sort of complimenting or or being positive about the the results that you know law enforcement is getting using jed match
0: yes very very strong support now it could be that just People aren't going to write me and say, you know, fooey on you. They'll just take their data their information off of JedMatch, and I would never know what their reason is. You know, because people are always putting their information on and taking it out. Some people just want to put their information on for a day or two and see what matches they have and then take it off, and then they'll come back maybe a month or two later and do the same thing. Some people want to do that. So I have no way of knowing what reason people have for taking their data off. Uh, and, and certainly, probably they're more motivated to write me saying, gee, thank you for all you're doing, rather than saying, uh, to heck with you. And do you
2: plan on keeping it uh, as accessible as it is now, or do you plan on at some point ever locking down or, or making it more um, private, I guess would be the right word?
0: Genealogy is a contact support. You have to contact your relatives. And that's what we're there for, to help people to find and contact relatives. I don't know how we could tighten down on it and still be of any value to genealogists or to law enforcement or to whomever. Uh, No, at this point, we have no plans to do that. If someone has a great idea how we can do both, make sure that we fulfill the needs of genealogical researchers, and at the same time, make things more private. We're wide open to it, but I, I and I'd love to hear it. But I I haven't found a way yet.
2: How many profiles currently do you have in in Jedmatch?
0: Between a million and a million hundred thousand. It's pretty close to probably about a million fifty thousand. Every day we get uh, well over a thousand more.
2: So that's going to be building up, and as time goes by, you'll, that number will continue to expand. Hopefully,
0: sure does. Yeah.
2: Well, as somebody that supports law enforcement and supports these cases being solved and people getting justice, you know, I'm, you know, I think it's a very admirable thing that you've allowed law enforcement to, to take part in uh, solving some of these crimes using jet even though that wasn't it intended purpose necessarily, you know, I applaud you for having it out there for law enforcement to, to do that.
0: Thank you. As I said I just want everyone to go into it with their eyes open and uh, let the marketplace decide. let's not let's not get regulations that'll kill the baby out with the bathwater. Absolutely.
2: I appreciate you coming on, Kurt. That really uh, is informative, and you know, I look forward to hearing more news about Jedmatch being used in to solve some of these high profile cases.
0: Happy to do it. Thank you very much.
2: We hope that interview with Curtis Rogers was enlightening and helps to give you a full understanding of just how the GEDmatch database works in aiding law enforcement. Because as we go along this season, we'll be referring to that database repeatedly.
1: And I think it's important that Curtis addressed privacy concerns. Because even though there are many people who support law enforcement using Jedmatch for catching criminals, there's also a lot of people that question its use. Or at least they're worried about privacy concerns.
2: So far, we've heard how Paul Holes and company used GEDmatch to ID Joseph D'Angelo and about that DNA database itself. But the police work and database are just two tools used in this process.
1: Yeah, Morf, in fact, you know, Paul Holes pointed out specifically that he needed help to find and pinpoint D'Angelo And that help came in the form of forensic genealogy. And this forensic genealogy is going to play a huge role in the cases that we'll be discussing this season. We'll dive into that in the next episode.
2: And before most of us even heard of GEDmatch, there was another tool being used by law enforcement. And that tool came in the services of the company Parabon NanoLabs. And they've also been in the news lately, in concert with many cases involving GEDmatch. We'll have an extensive conversation with Steve Armantrout of Parabon Nano Nanolabs in the next episode. And he'll walk us through their history, as well as their evolving technology and support techniques in working with law enforcement, including their groundbreaking efforts to create composites of suspects based on their DNA.
1: All right, Morf, this is a good place to wrap up episode one right here. Everyone, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast if you're not already so that you don't miss a single episode. Also, if you haven't done so and you love the show, go out, give us a rating. That goes a long way towards helping other people find the show.
2: If you'd like to find us on social media, we're always around and we try to be responsive. You can find us on Twitter with the handle at CriminologyPod or you can find us on Facebook by searching Criminology Podcast. You can also join our discussion group on Facebook by searching Criminology Podcast Discussion and Fans.
1: All right, that's it for episode one. We're excited about this season. We really think we're going to bring you some great information. And again, we're coming at you every week again, so we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you back next week.